Welcome to the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. that connected things grow. And we, we came from John chapter 15 talking about how Jesus, or rather how God is the vine, we are the branches, and how uh, uh, he comes and he prunes us uh, that is producing fruit so that we can produce more fruit. But he also comes and he removes those that aren't producing fruit. And it's just an incredible reminder to us that, listen, as the church... As the individual believer, we have a responsibility to make sure we are reflecting properly the person of Christ in our daily lives. And sometimes that's a challenge. We talked about love last week and how love is the basis of everything we do. You know, it's not an accident that when you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, what you discover as I read through it one more time to set up this message, is uh, it's the first fruit of the Spirit that is listed. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And the final verse in this passage is let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the church in Galatia is that, listen, there is, you can have all of this miraculous supernatural manifestation, but you can't grow mature in Christ when you act one way in the church and you go and live like hell the rest of the week. There's a differentiation that the believer is supposed to have as it pertains to how they connect to the rest of the world. And that's why he lists these fruits of the Spirit because they are examples to us of where we are in areas that we need to make sure we are reflecting to the world. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What's in your cup? See, I want you to imagine with me that you are holding a cup of coffee, okay? I've recently, over the last three or four years, uh, started drinking coffee. Uh, And before you think that I'm anything of a great coffee drinker, I am a hide-the-coffee drinker. If it doesn't have some type of additional flavor in it, then it's just dirty bean water, (laughs) okay? All you're doing is passing hot water through some ground-up beans. When you put enough sugar in that, it's drinkable. And I've discovered that. And so uh, they say America runs on Duncan. Guess what? So does your pastor. (laughs) But I want you to imagine that you're holding a cup of coffee and you're walking about your day, but you're drinking it and you're enjoying it and somebody bumps you. We've all been there, right? And maybe your lid wasn't on real great like this one's not and you spill it. I got you there, didn't I? And you spill it, maybe you spill it on someone, maybe you spill it on yourself. Now listen, what came out of that cup wasn't water, right? It wasn't tea. It, uh, it wasn't soda or pop, depending on what part of the country you're from. In Indianapolis, people like to say soda. That's because they're un-American. Um, just kidding, it's pop. But uh, it wasn't any of those things. Why? Because it was coffee that was in your cup. And my point to you in this illustration this morning is, listen, what's in you will be the thing that comes out of you. 
And so if there's not certain things in you, guess what? It's not going to come out of you. So if there's anger and bitterness and frustration and, and sorrow and grief and all of it, that's what's filling up your life, your cup, guess what? When somebody bumps you, irritates you, rubs you the wrong way, frustrates you, says something you don't like, is rude to you, cuts you off in traffic, bumps you in line at a, at a, at a Guardians game or any of the in-between, guess what's going to come out of you? Why? Because that's what was in your cup, right? And that's what I want us to be aware of this morning. You know, the question is, what's it, you know, as we get a little deeper into this, so we, we started last week talking about love, and we're going to try to do, for the remaining few weeks of July, two uh, uh, fruits every week. So today we're going to talk through joy and peace. Joy and peace. And, and those two, in particular, are so vital to the life of the believer because what they serve to do is one, joy makes serving Christ enjoyable, right? And peace is a stabilizer when the boat starts to rock a little bit. Anybody enjoy getting on a boat? Or I should say this way, anybody get seasick or not enjoyable on a boat, right? Now I know who not to sit by when we go on a boat. I love boats, love boating, love cruises, all of those things. I think it's the uh, ice cream, uh, the, the all-you-can-eat ice cream on the cruise that is what I really like. But everything's great for those that love boats, but the person that doesn't love the boat, they can probably tolerate it until it gets out into some choppy water and things start going a little bit wrong and they don't make sense and it's, you know, we're waving back and before you know it, they vomited somewhere. You don't know where it's at because they kept it a secret from you, but you're going to discover it later, right? Because I don't like to advertise when I'm about to throw up to somebody, so I'm going to do it real low key and then someone can find it later if they need to, right? It's like, hey, look, I totally threw up over here, but you'll figure it out, all right? I'm just me, hey, I'm just telling you right now, it's me. And here's the point, right? In our life, when things start going a little bit rocky, it's that peace that the Bible says, and we're going to read it together in a minute, that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to the world. The world's on our team. It says, you know what? You have every right to be upset. You have every right to act that way. I'm with you. Go ahead and send that text. Go ahead and make that post on Facebook. Go ahead and say that thing. Go ahead and do that thing. The world's like, yeah, we're with you. And Jesus is like, but wait a second. Could it be that the peace that I have for you when things are like this, will stabilize you, bring you back to your right mind and thinking so that you don't hit, hit send, so you don't hit post, so you don't say that thing and stick your foot in your mouth, right? Guilty as charged. My foot routinely finds itself in my mouth. And the Holy Spirit's like, look, if you'd have just stopped long enough and listened, pre-slaps me in the face a little bit. It's like that tortilla game on TikTok, Right? He hits me and he's like, listen, I love you. Let my peace reign in your life. Let me give you a couple of definitions this morning because you might be asking, you know, I, I, I kind of understand joy and peace, but I don't really know what they are. Joy, is, from a biblical sense, is gladness given or received. And of the two this morning, joy is the easier to describe. It's that feeling of contentment 
You, listen, you can have joy in the middle of difficulty and chaos. Joy is, uh, is found in seeing the glass half full rather than half empty, right? People can look at the same glass and have, uh, that, that has liquid in it and can have two different perspectives of uh, is the glass half full or is it half empty? And when we choose to see that the glass is half full, we have a joy because we have something that we didn't presently have and there's potential in that something for it to increase. But when we look at it as half empty, we're left with feelings of why didn't I get as much as somebody else or why uh, is, is there not more in here or how is that half empty going to take care of me? And we find ourselves dissatisfied with our portion because it's not what we think we should have gotten. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope so. Made sense in my head. <laughs> but real quick, I want to give you, for the sake of time, I'm going to go really fast I'm going to give you five things that rob uh, our joy and peace. I call them joy killers and peace robbers. The first is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. That is a joy killer and a peace robber because it sits in your chest like a giant weight and it keeps you up at night. And if you're like me, or maybe you're not like me, and I hope maybe you're not in this instance, like sometimes my brain it like will figure out like, okay, when given the opportunity, these are the things that I want to say to so-and-so because so-and-so has hurt me. And if given the opportunity, like I've got like a list in my head, like ready to go. Anybody like that, or is it just me, and I need to pray to myself, pray for myself? Amen. I saw a hand. Thank you for being honest. And if you, don't, if you didn't raise your hand, it's because you lied, okay? <laughs> but unresolved conflict, which is a part of life, right? Relationships that don't argue and marriages that don't have healthy conflict, somebody's just not being honest, okay? Conflict is okay when done in a biblical sense, when you fight fair, you can move forward in a relationship versus the other tactic of not fighting fair and cutting one another down, right? Which means you just have to start over from a previous spot. But listen, unresolved conflict will come, but when we let it fester and turn into bitterness or prolonged anger and resentment, it prevents us from experiencing joy and peace. The second one is envy and comparison. Envy in comparison. Man, my life would be great if I had what they have. Facebook, social media, has done a great job of helping us illustrate the best parts of our life, or in some cases, the fake parts of our life. Amen. Amen right? Because we take that time to expertly get the right lighting and the right air passing and the right, you know, look on our, you know, we put our lips out just so, and we, you know, we pose just so, and we make it so everything looks perfect, but what we're doing is we're sending a missed message to the world because what the world's not seeing is 20 minutes before you were all raggedy mess. But thank you for lighting and thank you for a breeze and thank you for, you know, somebody who knew how to edit in Photoshop to make us look perfect, right? Come to my house 30 minutes before you show up. I promise you it's a mess and I'm probably yelling at children to pick up some toy and trying to get my dog, who is stubborn as all get out, to go outside so I can put him in a crate upstairs so he doesn't attack you when you come to the house. 
But I promise you, when you show up, I'm going to be like, hey, it's been perfect all day. Not a problem at all. Not even this. Right? And so what we do is we live in this world where we end up comparing ourselves to other people because we got to keep up with the Joneses. Right? And then we get envious and it sucks our joy and peace because we spend our time, rather than enjoying what God gave us, we spend our time trying to figure out how can I get more because what God gave us clearly isn't enough. And it's a waste of time and energy. The third one I want to tell you about this morning is complaining. Listen, when you complain, you look no different from the world. Complaining is easier, but God calls believers to a higher standard when it comes to how we use our mouths. We should use our words to be thankful and to build up, not tear down. And complaining tears down because it only focuses on the negative, which presents us from being thankful. You cannot complain and be grateful at the same time. Listen, I'm not talking about I had a bad day or, or this happened at work or that venting moment. That happens for everybody and those are okay. I'm talking about this habitual like woe is me, like the Eeyores of our life, right? Anybody ever, you know, Pooh Bear, right? Pooh Bear's got a friend named Eeyore and his whole day is like, woe is me, the world is ending, I might as well just stop and who cares, right? It's like, like there's nothing good to be found in the day. Eeyore's not joyful. Eeyore has no peace. He's like, when's it all going to come crumbling down? He builds those little stick houses and they fall over. Eeyore's a terrible uh, person of joy and peace. The fourth one is pride. When we are prideful and, we, and think we can do everything on our own, we forfeit God's strength in our lives. Can I just tell you that you can't do everything on your own? Can I just tell you if you try to do everything on your own, you're going to fall on your face? Because I've tried it myself. And I'm like, you know, I make a mess of my life because I don't know how to properly address the problems of my life. But I can tell you who does. His name is Jesus. But the thing about, that you need to understand about Jesus is that he only will intrude into your life to the level that you will let him. So if you wall up the problems and the difficulties of your life thinking that you can manage them on your own, guess what he's going to patiently do? He's going to wait for you to realize that you cannot and then turn to him. You know, Revelation 3 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Guess what he does with the issues of our life that we've walled up and said, you know what, God, that's not for you, that's for me. I'd rather not have that discussion with you. I can do it myself. Guess what he does? Whenever you're ready, I'm right here. Right? I'm right here. But sometimes pride comes in and says, you know what? You got this. You can do it. Don't worry. Don't, don't think for a second. It's in your ability. Listen, you can make it. Look, the world's figured it out. You can too. And the reality is, is the world hasn't figured it out. They've just learned how to put a Band-Aid on a much bigger problem. But eventually, they all run out of Band-Aids. Jesus doesn't operate with Band-Aids. He's a skillful surgeon who knows how to fix us. Number five is Anxiety. And what anxiety does is it steals space in our hearts and minds, minds where God's peace and joy should be. And in turn, it takes our joy. Instead of being anxious, we should be prayerful. And instead of worrying, we should be thankful. This is how we overcome anxiety to live the joyful life that is in Christ. I tell you all this this morning because those are real things that people deal with on a real daily basis. And you're probably sitting there identifying with some of those things. Because I know when I was writing it, praying about it, researching it, reading about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. Oh yeah, I do that. And it's like those things 
are robbing me of the peace and the joy that God wants for my life. You know, I used to wonder and be a little bit jealous at times of people who are in the middle of a terrible life situation or crisis, and yet somehow they could still have peace and joy. And I'm like, why do you have this when everything seems to not make sense and is falling apart? And what I've discovered is, listen, they are so anchored in who they are in Christ and in the understanding that he has everything taken care of that nothing is going to move them from the truth. You know, I, I, I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you often see this in like elderly people who have been serving Jesus for like centuries, or I'm just kidding, like decades upon decades. They go through the ups and downs of life, the loss of loved ones, the tragedies, the cultural shifts of every generation, but yet they never seem to lose that joy and peace that comes from just being a child of God. And I used to be like, what do I need to do to get it? I need to spend time with Jesus. I want to paraphrase this story. I was going to read it to you, but I'm looking at the clock and we're going to move a little faster. I want to paraphrase this story to you for our remaining time that comes out of Acts chapter 16. Acts is my favorite book of the Bible because it's, it's the responsibility placed on the believer post Christ's ascension to push the gospel message forward. And it's a beautiful thing uh, that, that they were so successful at in such a short amount of time. And there are these two uh, companions, Paul and Silas. And this is Acts chapter 16. Uh, beginning in verse, uh, rather the whole story is tw uh, Acts chapter 16, 16 to 40. And like I said, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But here's what we discover. Paul and Silas are out ministering to people. And there's been a girl that, has, that, that the Bible says has this spirit, this evil spirit about her. And she nags and pesters Paul and Silas for days. For days. And Paul finally gets, like, a little frustrated, but he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't deal with this anymore. And he rebukes this evil spirit in this girl, and it leaves, and she's back to normal. Like, that's a big deal, and that's a win, you would think, right? The problem is, is this little girl has some handlers that have been using her to make money and since Paul and Silas removed this evil spirit from her, the source of their income has now dried up and they aren't happy about it. So they go and they row up the city against Paul and Silas and they get the authorities of the town and they grab them and they take Paul and Silas and the Bible says that they have them flogged or beaten and thrown in prison. Now, prison back then were typically these carve-outs in, like, caves or these uh, uh, stone structures, and there were bars on them, and they would typically chain prisoners to the wall hand and foot, okay? Not an incredibly great place to want to spend time. They were dark, they were dirty, they were damp, the food was not great, the accommodations was not like the Holiday Inn, right? They were rough places to be. And not only that, but this is following the beating that Paul and Silas just got for simply removing the evil spirit from some girl's life. If I were Paul and Silas, I'd be a little frustrated, right? 
But here's what we discover about Paul and Silas in chapter 16 of Acts. After they're beaten and they're flogged, they're put in prison. But the Bible says, I love when I can say that the Bible says that at midnight, right, what we discover, because I know if it was me back in the day, if someone did that to me, lied about me, put me in prison, had me beaten down in any of the sort, I would not be in the greatest of moods and I would probably be complaining about my situation. I don't belong in here. I don't deserve this. This isn't for me. I can't believe they would, like, I would be mad about what I was dealing with. But what we discover about Paul and Silas in this story is the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God. Like, really? You not only did, were you falsely accused, not only did people lie about you, not only did you get beaten for something that you're not actually guilty of, and now you're in prison, uncertain about what you're doing, or, what, or what's rather going to happen to you. And at midnight, I guarantee they hadn't drank anything, they hadn't eaten anything, and at midnight, you're singing hymns to God. And the way the rest of the story ends is the Bible says that there were, the lights went out and there was an earthquake, right? And the prison doors were open. The chains that shackled their feet and their arms were loosed from them. And if they wanted to, they could have walked right out. That's not what they did, though. The jailer who was responsible for all of the, the people in there whose life depends on them staying put is a little bit freaked out. And he's, he's calling out, Hey, is everybody there? Is anybody, you know? And he's calling out. And Paul and Silas are like, hey, we're still here. We didn't leave. We got work to do. We didn't leave. And the jailer, so moved by the example of Paul and Silas, that he comes running in and he asks them my most favorite question. What must I do to be saved? So they didn't complain. They didn't get angry. They simply reflected Christ. They were found to be worshiping when they had every justifiable reason according to the world and probably according to most of us to be upset to be irritated, to say what they needed to say, to respond the way they wanted to respond, but yet we found them singing. And so that jailer asks them, what must I do to be saved? And in verse 31, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. This is like a big, this is like two o'clock in the morning. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. The Bible says in verse 34 that he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Verse 35 says that when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with an order to release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now go in peace. 
I find it interesting that the two key things that, that one was, was displayed to the jailer or the jailer received was joy and the things wished upon Paul and Silas were peace, although they did not accept it. Uh, and you'll, you'll discover that in the rest of the story. Paul wanted to prove a point, which I think is right uh, to, those, uh, to those people that had him beaten. The point I want you to understand this morning as we wrap this up, Tom, if you want to come. The point I want you to understand this morning is listen. What's in here, spiritually, will eventually leak out to the world. It will. There's only such a, there's only a, a, a certain depth to the reservoir, spiritually speaking, in our lives. Everybody has, some have huge ones, some know how to bottle it up, others have a real tiny kiddie pool and it just pops off any moment. But understand that what you're filling this up with when you get bumped when you have a bad day when it doesn't make sense when you're frustrated when you're when your spouse isn't listening when your kids are crying freaking out when that bill is overdue what was in here is going to come out just will. And I want you to understand this morning that as we get into the other components of this series, the first three, the love, joy, and the peace, those are the things, those are the ingredients, those are the maturing points that say, you know what, I can make it another day. You know what, I know I got the towel in my hand, but you know what, not today, I'm not throwing the thing in today. Because the peace of God I'm choosing to allow it to pass even my understanding and I'm going to rest in the fact that Jesus has it figured out for me. And I'm going to let the joy that, listen, yeah, the world doesn't make sense, but guess what? There's still breath in my lungs today, which means I have another opportunity, which means God's not done yet, which means I can still affect change and and, and be the person that God created me to be. That's my message to you this morning. And here's what I want to challenge us to do. In a moment, I'm actually going to open the altar. So if you're one of our prayer team, one of our leaders this morning, I'm going to open the altars because the enemy loves nothing more than to rob joy and peace from his people, from God's people. He wants to make you think that the circumstances in front of you are bigger than the God above you. He wants to make you think that God can't solve the issue, that God's not capable of understanding what you're dealing with, that, you know, that, that where's that money going to come from? How's that relationship going to... He wants you to believe that God's not interested or has the capacity to do anything about it. And so he messes with the mind of the believer and says, you know what, just give up, just throw in the towel, just go back to how you used to do it because at least, you know, it was a little bit easier back then. Just give up. You know what, the whole world is depressed. Who cares if you have joy? That's what the enemy wants to do to the believer. And I want to war against that with you this morning. And I want you to grow comfortable with the idea of an altar that's not about guilt and shame, but one about freedom and celebration to say, you know what, when I come, I encounter a God who sets me free, who loves on me, who knows what I'm dealing with. When I move prophetically, what I'm saying is, God, I'm taking a step in your direction. Will you come with me? Will you come meet with me? So go ahead and stand your feet this morning. 
If you enjoyed today's message, there are a couple things I would love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today by going to give.rockofgrace.org. And thanks again for joining us on the Rock of Grace Warren podcast.